Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, you ready to let the dogs out? What? Do what? <laughs> let the dogs out. You know, like, who let the dogs out? Who, who? Off the Hook, airing on offthehooksports.com. Your home for real news, real opinions, and what really matters about Tennessee athletics. Always available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Always available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I was going to replace that intro at one point last night because it refers to the hangover with Bradley Cooper in it, and he's an Eagles fan, and the Eagles are evil. So for the betterment of our listeners and viewers and their deep-down spirituality of life, I was going to replace that, but... That wasn't the case as a bizarro call, in my opinion, at least. And we get Caleb's thoughts in the Super Bowl. A defensive holding leads to the Chiefs just being able to bleed out the clock. And that was kind of disappointing. And I thought we were on the verge of seeing a classic finish. And the Eagles just kind of get robbed. I know that the defender had said that there was uh, indeed a hold there. He admitted to the hold. But I think he's kind of being the good soldier uh, Caleb Calhoun, I thought we were on the verge of a very, very good Super Bowl, and I saw that hold, and I did the math in my head with the clock, and I was like, this is over. And we had um, uh, friends over, and it was just, uh, I don't know, it was a little deflating the way it ended, I thought. But congratulations to Trey Smith for a uh, Super Bowl championship. Yeah, if you think you had it rough, um, I had a parlay yesterday. And I had every one of my parlays except Patrick Mahomes throwing for 225 yards. So that cost me the whole parlay. And I was so mad about that hold because I'm like, if they don't get that hold there, there's a chance Patrick Mahomes gets the ball back again, either in overtime or to try to do a desperate game-winning drive. And I'm like, at that point, he could have hit the 225. But I will say, for people complaining about it, there was a drive early in the first half. The only Chiefs drive that really stalled in the first half was because the Eagles got away with a blatant pass interference. I think it was like the third drive of the game, and they didn't call it. So, you know, bad calls even out. We always remember the bad call at the end of the game, but no one ever remembers the bad calls that went throughout the game, and that was one that I think stood out before before the end of the game. So we, we got to go there. Reminds me of, uh, to bring it to college since we covered Tennessee, I will never forget Florida fans in 2001 when Tennessee beats Florida 34-32, to 32, insisting there was a hold on that two-point conversion on Jabbar Gaffney. And screaming and crying that Jabbar Gaffney was held, but they just they they totally ignore the fact that there were two Rex Grossman fumbles that the refs ruled Rex Rex Grossman down earlier in that game. They just conveniently leave that part out. <laughs> I, I don't think the officials 
routinely decide the direction of games. Now, I'm talking about the NFL and college football. I think there are times when officials get caught up in uh, rough arena. I think there are times that they get caught up in the momentum of the game. And I say that, Caleb, because, you know, I've been an official and I've, I've officiated baseball as an umpire. I did basketball. I did flag football just for intramural sake to get through college. But I do think officials get caught up in the excitement of the game. And you mentioned the Jabbar Gaffney catch, no catch. I will, I will tell you right now that I think those officials got caught up in the game and ruled that a catch. By the letter of the law, should it have been a catch? Perhaps. But that's just uh, too instantaneous to rule a catch. And, and there have been other times, too, that I thought that uh, officials have gotten caught up in the game, so to speak. So I don't think they go in and intentionally say, I'm going to help this team or not. But I do think they get caught up in the game. And No, I wasn't referring to the Jabbar Gaffney, Gaffney catch, non-catch. Just so. Right, right. No, 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 I know. And um, But okay. th- that, that to me was one where I felt like they got caught up in the game. It felt like Florida, they were destined to come down on that drive and and end up winning the football game, and you just you felt like it. You know, there's momentum in a game that you can you can sit there and watch. But when you're an official with a whistle in your hand, you've got to be really careful not to get caught up in that. And I remember umpiring one time, and the team had a uh, comeback from like nine runs, and and I, I didn't get caught up or excited. I try to explain this the best way I can. You just feel like the momentum of the game's happening. And I remember I blew a call, one that stands out to this very day, what 25 years later. But I think there are a couple of places that the officials get caught up more than not. And the biggest one to me is Rupp Arena. I think that the officials there get caught up in the moment. I don't think they say, hey, my cousin's brother's sister's son went to Kentucky, so I want to call it or I've got money in the game or anything like that. But I think Rupp is notorious where officials getting caught up in the game, caught up in a run, and suddenly the calls are against you. Any other examples that you can think of in in the SEC where there are times that the officiating seems suspect for whatever reason? You're right. Rupp's the only one in basketball. I see it a lot in football um, more than basketball. I see them get called up in the moment. Um, but there are um, – there are sometimes where it's like if you were caught up in the moment, you wouldn't have made that call. So sometimes I get a little mixed either way. I think um, I think in the NBA sometimes they get called up massively in the moment. I mean, let's be honest. There was you. We can debate until the end of time whether or not Michael Jordan pushed off on that last game winner, but there was no way in the world they were going to make that call. There's no way you make that call. With- no. <laughs> and, and I will say this: you should officiate the same in the last minute as the first minute, but it's human nature and that would have been a really tough call to make um, at the time. If you want to talk about the Jordan call, but you know, I go back to that Gaffney call and I I thought that was a a momentum thing where the, the officials felt that Florida was going to do that. I, I, you know, the, the call last night, the the defender up and owned it, but still that was uh, very frustrating. Travis says reps might as well wear crimson in Tuscaloosa. Do you believe that? Do you believe referees look out for Alabama? Because I know that SEC fans and Tennessee fans think that uh, referees look out for Alabama and that 
You have instances in, in which the announcers look out, out for Alabama. Do you buy that, Caleb, or is that something that's just fun to say? I haven't watched enough. Uh, I mean, I've watched a lot. I have not seen enough instances of refs by, of handing it to Alabama. People, I'm sorry, people just say that about dominant teams. What I will say, and Dave, this is a big deal going forward. It's funny, we kind of just transitioned into this, and I just thought of this, but, you know, the college football playoff is expanding to 12 teams. The SEC and the Big Ten are going to have a vested interest in getting as many teams in the playoff as possible. And they have their own referees. And you start to wonder, is that going to impact, like if an SEC game in November can determine whether or not an extra team gets into the playoff? Is that going to have an impact? I mean, I've, I thought I've watched some SEC championship games where there was a vested interest in making sure the team that had a chance at the national title won. That doesn't mean that they were rigging the game, but I'll give, I'll give you one. Tennessee-Auburn 2004 SEC championship game. Remember the flags that were thrown in that game against Tennessee? Like the numerous flags? And I'm, there were a couple. I'm like, they don't make that call if Tennessee's the undefeated team and Auburn's the two-loss team. I just don't think they make that call. Uh, I can see that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I want to ask this question. I want to put it on our Facebook. I'm sorry, our Twitter poll right now. Do you believe officials purposely make favorable calls for uh, dynasties? And uh, I, I will ask our message board that now. Do you believe that happens? Whether it's uh, purposefully in a sense of, hey, I, I want Alabama to win uh, because – of whatever reason you might have, or you just get caught up in in the moment. But yeah, I I, I, I flip flopped that last night. Does that call go against the Chiefs in the exact same position? I don't I mean, think it does. I think Patrick Mahomes is a lovable guy. I think that. But you're again. They, there was a pass interference that they blatantly missed in the first half that the Chiefs that killed the Chiefs drive. And that's where I met with it. And, you know, that, that's – I get the debate on that, but it's like refs miss calls, and we only miss, we only see the ones that are missed at the end of the game. We don't see the ones that are missed throughout the game that are on the other side, I feel like. Hmm. And, and also, I mean, just to go to the Gaffney called up in the moment thing, I've maintained for years, I'm sorry, Tennessee fans, Florida's winning that game anyway. If It would have been third down from like the four-yard line. And if they don't convert on third down, they kick a field goal in fourth down, and they had all the momentum. They're winning that game in overtime. Tennessee's defense was gas. The the rest call and the Gaffney non-catch, they're not at fault for the defense letting Florida go 91 yards on that final drive. They're not at fault for Randy Sanders having Travis Henry and needing one yard to get a first down to run out the clock, and he chooses to call a toss play instead of just to run up the middle with Henry when you know Henry's going to get it. And so, I mean, there there are – that's where I'm at. It's – it's very e- – just like last night, the rest didn't make Jalen Hurts fumble that ball and give it away. They aren't the reason that Kansas City had a punt return to the five-yard line. Again, that was a ticky-tack call at the end that they – you're right, could have gone either way. I don't think you make that call. But you're talking about a ticky-tack call that they didn't make versus a call that they didn't make in the first half that they should have made that should have gone Kansas City's way. That was a blatant pass interference on Kansas City's third drive. Oh, um, it was an interesting game. Everybody uh, is talking about how they hated Rihanna. But uh, I liked Rihanna. I thought that was a good show. Um, I, like, I like seeing more things exposed when Rihanna performs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how she was up at the top there. I would have uh, freaked out on that whole Super Bowl show. I'm not a big heights guy. But I ask you, and then uh, on our message board, um, 
Is there a situation in, in which you feel as if that uh, Tennessee has been wronged in, in some shape, form, or fashion? Is is the Gaffney catch number one? Gene said he didn't enjoy the halftime show. I, I didn't enjoy it because of the music. I enjoyed it just because of, frankly, the the lifts and all that crazy stuff they use. I thought it was uh, pretty insane. At first, I thought that it was some sort of... Um, uh, I don't know, like an effect, like they weren't really up in the air. And then after a while, I'm like, they're, she's strapped down. They're really up in the air. So I thought that was pretty wild. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know much of her music. Um, I mean, I recognize three or four of the songs, but uh, I enjoyed it. So other than other than Rupp is, uh, well, I just asked this. The, the officials um, in college football and basketball who are more likely to um, to go – with the home team, is it Alabama in Tuscaloosa or is it Kentucky uh, in Rupp? I don't think it's close. I think it's basketball in Kentucky and Rupp. What about you, Caleb? Easily. I think it's basketball in Kentucky and Rupp, and I think part of that is Rupp's kind of louder than Alabama. I mean, I've been to Bryant-Denny Stadium. I'm sure you have too. It's not really the loudest stadium in the SEC. I, I can think of like five stadiums that are louder that might get you more called up in the moment, Nalen being one of them, honestly. Um I uh, know. I, mean, I don't think it's top six necessarily. So yeah, I think the swamp is louder. I think um, I hear Kai Fields louder, and I believe it. I know Baton Rouge is louder. Um, so you know, I, I thought Auburn was louder. Quite frankly, yeah, Auburn is louder. Um, so anyway, your um, your thoughts on that? As we remind you that you can go and take care of your pet at crafttreats.com. Crafttreats.com has a promo code off the hook where you save twenty percent on the chill pills, which will help with your pet's anxiety, will help with your uh, pet's arthritis, and how about your pet's digestive issues as well? They've got CBD in them. They've also got treats that don't. They've just got great holistic treats. Use the promo code off the hook. That is off the hook, and you get. 20% off. It is just that simple, pretty cool, off the hook. All right, so I'm going to ask this question on our Twitter page. Why do officials make favorable calls for dynasties like Kentucky basketball and Bama football? Caught up in the moment, looking out for uh, the tops, and um, and just a coincidence. Maybe it is just a coincidence. Uh, I don't think that's the case, but I just think basketball more than any other sport that you can get caught up in a run. Caleb, I've always thought that you can, before you know it, get caught up in a run, and you're a part of this momentum swing in basketball as much as anything. Eric Kane will join us, um, and looking forward to that from uh, BallQuest.com and Locked on Balls. We'll get his thoughts on Tennessee basketball over the weekend, recruiting, state of the balls. Love Eric Kane. I've loved his work for a long time, so excited to have him on board and um uh, gene says the visuals were neat i'll give you that but other than that uh cj said the dancing was good the outfits ridiculous the outfits were kind of stupid it reminds me of that puffy thing that uh puff daddy wore in the video with mace do you remember that it was all puffy stuff man you were so dated still calling I him puffy daddy, but I, I don't know what to call him puffy p diddy whatever uh, Gene says, I mean, a thousand Oompa Loompas all grown up and dancing. Okay, I didn't like that part. Um, Travis says, it's so it's uh, so much more fast-paced, I suppose, easier to miss calls. No, I think it is. I think you get caught up in runs. And um, is it Brian Russell that was pushed off by Jordan? Yeah. 
Although, again, Byron Russell. Byron Russell. Byron Russell. Although, again, let's be fair. Again, we talk about things that led to it. Byron Russell was backing up that way anyway. So he would have fallen with or without Michael Jordan's hand. I think Michael Jordan's hand was to balance himself more than it was to push off Byron Russell, if you really look at that shot. I agree, but that that's a call that if uh, Dave or Caleb do that move, that's called. Uh, yeah, probably. If Michael Jordan does that move, it's not called. Well, also, you know, the, the culprit of that is, rest in peace, Jerry Sloan, because the only reason that shot happened is Michael Jordan stole it from Carl Malone under the basket because – Jerry Sloan, apparently, and there was a formation. They run the exact same play to Carl Malone every time they do that. So Michael knew the play was going to Carl Malone, so he ran from the backside to strip it from Carl Malone. That's on Jerry Sloan. You shouldn't. You should, Michael Jordan should not have known that where Malone was going with the ball right there. So I thought that was a great steal. I give Jordan a lot of credit for that and knowing that and what you just said. Zach England of Beston Brock is a personal injury attorney, and he is just absolutely phenomenal. Zach England of Beston Brock can go toe-to-toe with the insurance attorneys and make sure you get your just rewards for whatever personal injury issue you might have been involved with. That's Zach England of Beston Brock. Zach England of Beston Brock. Zach's got your back. Travis says Caleb works for the Refs Association. Now, maybe. I don't know. Uh, we're not to the point at off the hook sports. We're paying that well, where you can't have side gigs. Maybe that's the case. I am not. Oh my gosh. No, I don't work for the refs association. I just think that refs get blamed way too much. There are maybe two instances where I think in history refs should really be blamed. The 2001 Western conference finals, which I do believe was rigged. The Tim, that's the one that Tim Donahue said that they were, that they tried to fix to make the Kings Lakers go game seven. I believe him because I watched game six. It was weird, the foul calls. And I think 2003 Florida-Florida State was rigged for Florida State. I watched the missed calls in that game, and there were ACC officials, and that was when Florida State stomped on Florida's logo. I I thought that game was rigged. Those were the only two. Let me ask you this. So let's just talk about one particular call, because I'm going to go with Jabbar But what is the worst call to ever go against the Vols? The worst call to ever go against the Vols. Hmm. I think that's got to be it. That's and, and the, and the funny. The funny part about that too, Caleb, is by rule that was a catch at the time. Yeah. So I mean that that technically wasn't. It just didn't look right. The whole nine yards of it just didn't. Just didn't look right. I'm going. Okay, here's a, it's it's a Does it have to be a game the Vols lost? Because. Or could it be a game the Vols won and they overcame the worst call ever? You said what now? Does it have to be a game the Vols lost? No. Because I'm going 2001 Florida. Those two Rex Grossman fumbles, it's the only time I ever saw Fulmer lose his mind at the ref. It was the one in the swamp. Rex Grossman fumbled on back-to-back drives, and both times they ruled Rex Grossman down on those drives. And Al Ford was the official at the time. And, man, Phil Fulmer laid into Al Ford at that. It's the only time I ever saw Fulmer lay into an official. Um, and it didn't matter because Tennessee won anyway. But. So, right now, people are saying uh, caught up in the moment, looking out for the tops. I certainly hope that isn't the case. But it, uh, uh, it, it probably is. I mean, here's the thing you have to remember about bad calls. And I like to give the officials – I like to give the officials the benefit of the doubt, but is SEC football better with Alabama in the hunt 
for a national championship and an SEC title. Is SEC basketball in particular better off with Kentucky in the hunt for a national title or final four run? I would say yes and yes. So do I think there's some sort of you know, handshake, wink, wink thing going on? No, I really don't. But would it stun me? It wouldn't stun me if the, if the official said, you know, it would certainly help Kentucky and it would be a big factor. I mean, after watching that, uh, what was it, the, the Donaghy um, documentary recently, it doesn't take a lot for one guy to get kind of sideways with the bookies and then suddenly he's he's being managed a little bit. But, you know, I, I just think that if you're around – if you're around SEC basketball in particular, you know that Kentucky's the premier team. So they're going to get the benefit of some calls. I don't think it's as bad with Alabama as a lot of people think. Um, and I know that who's the announcer that gets caught up in that all the time? Um, my goodness, help me with that. They're, Gary Danielson. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're officially against – Tennessee. I don't think he goes. I think he just looks at exactly what's happening, and more times than not, Alabama's the better team. I I kind of agree. Um, just a heads up, Jaru, uh, Caleb Jaru, one of our reporters, just texted us, and he brought up that uh, it's bad that I haven't mentioned the Saints AFC NFC Championship game a few years ago, where a former Vol, Alvin Kamara, got wiped oh, yeah. out on what was clearly a pass interference. Yeah. That was definitely a bad call. All right, coming up on the program, we're going to talk about some all-time University of Tennessee top performances in the Super Bowl. Who had the biggest impact in NFL history when it comes to balls in the Super Bowl? And Travis says, worst call I've ever seen was South Carolina stopped Michigan on fourth, clearly, and Clowney had to uh, take it back. The other one that we don't talk about is the fifth down. And that was Colorado, Missouri, Colorado, Missouri. I'm sorry. I almost said Michigan, um, Colorado, Missouri. That had to be an accident. They didn't just give them another. Wait, is Dave Hooker admitting something in defense of Missouri? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe just slightly. Zool Beer, XULBeer.com is the official craft beer of Off the Hook Sports Rate Parking downtown which you don't have a lot and worldwide award award-winning craft beer i'm gonna say it again worldwide award-winning craft beer right there in downtown knoxville it is fantastic eric kane will join us next he is with locked on balls and also ball quest and we're going to talk some tennessee basketball coming up next <sighs> thoughts on tennessee basketball caleb in one word um Okay, I'm going to say something. Uh, I can't say one word. I can do two. Surprisingly encouraging. I actually have some positive thoughts for the first time. I want to hear that. I'm going to go predictably bad. Two minutes off the hook sports. Eric Kane up next. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut 
in downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Inflation has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. Inflation Calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today. Hey folks, Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli-style subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at CCTIs.com. Well, I'll bring you back with a sad note. Very sad. Um, Gus Manning, according to a tweet by Monica Warren, who is the daughter of Dewey Warren, Swamp Rat. Uh, Gus Manning has apparently passed away. He was uh, 99 years old. He would have turned 100 this summer. And I want to take a, just a second before we get to Eric Kane. I want to get his thoughts as well. You're, you're talking about a link to the past that it's just gone now. That is... Um, really hard to put in the words you're talking about the sports information director for general neeland i mean that's how far back it goes and just um just absolutely heartbreaking uh just a guy that i will say this him and the late haywood harris were always so supportive of the young and newer guys and that is not <laughs> necessarily the case the guys that have to do it on a day-to-day -day basis but yeah, I still remember Gus and Haywood doing uh, their show that ran before the uh, Tennessee broadcast, and they would tape it on a Thursday 
and it was just so classic. I would sit in the production studio next to I would sit in the production studio, sorry for that, and and just watch those guys do that show. And every break was the same. It was Haywood saying, Ah gosh, what are you talking about? And it was and they were so fun to watch. It was just really incredible. I'm blessed to have gotten to know those guys and just uh, absolutely unbelievable. One of a kind. Eric Kane joins us now. He kills it with the ball quest. He kills it with locked on balls. Eric, how are you, sir? Yeah, good morning. Doing well. Hey, so you're, you're, I don't know how much you're, you're a younger man than me. Um, and Gus wasn't around to a large extent driving around in his, his Cushman. Um, he had his own personal Cushman to tool around um, the campus. Did you have many uh, experiences with, with Gus at all? You know, sadly, no, uh, I did not. Um, but I uh, certainly, certainly know who he is. Certainly have heard everything that, uh, he stood for and kind of know, kind of like what you were saying. I mean, he, he truly is, um, truly was a link to the past there, um, a Tennessee legend. Um, it, it says a lot when you walk up into the press box in Neyland Stadium and, you know, there's there's a seat there for, for Gus Manning, you know, where he sat, you know, so many different games. And, you know, you just – you respect, you keep that open, you know, because that, that's Gus's seat, right? And so, um, you know, it's extremely sad to – to hear this news but you want to talk about a guy that lived a, a fantastic life did exactly what he wanted to do was great at his job was an ambassador for university of tennessee and a link to the past i mean that was that was gus manning so uh sadly didn't have a, a whole lot of interactions with gus um but certainly know of of him and the, the legend that he was his memory was so sharp at the end too he could remember like neeland stories you know you feel like you're almost watching this uh, encyclopedia into the past. But he would want us to spin it forward, so we'll do that. Uh, God rest his soul, rest in peace, uh, Gus Manning. We'll talk about him a little bit more as the week goes on. Uh, but, Erica, let's, let's start with your thoughts on uh, Tennessee basketball. The reason I actually reached out to you is because of a conversation you had with Tony Vitello, and we'll get to that. But first, your thoughts on, on Tennessee basketball and kind of where they stand uh, right now after another disheartening day over the weekend you got to pick yourself up right I mean there's um it's been a it's been a really rough two-week stretch even with a win in there against Auburn which is a quad one win it was it was not easy it was not fun um you, you got to find a way to move forward I mean you still despite the last two games you still have a defense that is good enough to carry you a lot of the times and the last two games I mean the offense has kind of come alive a little bit against weaker defensive teams and that's that was expected but you just find a way to lose. And then on Saturday, it was just so disheartening because you were down 17 in the second half and you come back and, and, and you draw even. You get 23 points from a guy in Tyree Key that hasn't given you much consistency on offense all year long. You take that lead. You get a six-point you know lead at, at one point in time. And, and then, you know, Missouri just won't go away. And then Missouri needs like four things to happen exactly, precisely in the right moment to, you know, come back and pull off the shocker. And it happens. So, I mean, silver lining, I guess. This is not March. You're getting this out of the way in February, and you're trying to move past this. But Tennessee's got to do some digging right now. Uh, you got to see what the the injury concerns are for Triple J and and uh, you know for for Julian Phillips and then some other guys. But you got to dig deep here because it's not going to get any easier. And uh, obviously, you got Alabama coming to Thompson Bowling on Wednesday, and that's going to be a massive uh, basketball game. I don't want to read too much into one tweet, and I want Caleb to jump in here, but. 
Dave Matter, who does a great job of covering Missouri for the St. Louis Post, tweeted out, this is incredible. Before Vescovi's miss first free throw, Missouri guard Sean East told him, you're going to miss one. You missed one last game. Vescovi missed the first, lane violation on the second. Don't want to read too much in one tweet, but is this team in its own head a little bit perhaps? I mean, you hope not, right? Um, but, I mean, after the way the, the last two games have gone with the free throw line issues, losing at the buzzer and all that stuff, I mean, you can't help but think potentially, right? And, and again, that might be a little human nature, if so. Um, but this team's got good veteran leadership. This team's got a good coach. You hope that they don't dwell you know, in, in their own heads as well in that moment, if that is the case. Um, now, uh, you know, that's Vescovy could have simply just missed miss the free throw, right? I mean, he's, uh, I think going into the Vanderbilt game, I want to say, I was listening to the broadcast, I want to say that uh, Bob and Burke said he was an 80% free throw shooter, and then he missed that, that, that front end there, and then, of course, he missed the other night. He's obviously going through some, you know, internal battles right now, late in-game situations, so it wouldn't shock me if he's a little low in confidence right now. And Rick Barnes said after the game that he was hurting he was hurting for Santiago, so that he's won a lot of games for Tennessee. So um, you hope that's not the case. But again, you got to figure it out, right? I mean, no one's going to stop for you. No one's going to. No one's going to. You know, feel sorry for you. You got Alabama coming to your house in a matter of days. You got to figure it out, and then you got Kentucky. So uh, Tennessee's got a tough stretch here to end the regular season, and you want to be playing much better than you are, obviously now heading into tournament time. Erica, let me run silver lining real quick because, and by the way, it's credible when I do silver lining because Dave will tell you I was off the Tennessee basketball bandwagon before everybody else was. This was when they were number two. He ran the bandwagon into a ditch, Eric, is what he did <laughs> yeah. right before this two-week span. I was tracking them before when they were number two, and I was seeing my concerns. But funny enough, the loss to Missouri didn't validate any of my concerns because my – look, Missouri's not a bad team. They beat Iowa State. They've beaten a few pretty good teams – and my concern with Tennessee was their offense is so inconsistent and erratic that if they run into a red-hot shooting team in March, which happens, they have no chance of winning. Well, isn't it true that even though they lost on Saturday, they lost by one, and Missouri, literally everything they threw up fell in the basket. So it was one of those games, and it wasn't like Tennessee got blown off the floor. They were in it until the last second. Doesn't that at least prove, okay, if March comes and Tennessee runs into one of those red-hot shooting teams, they can hang? I mean, you hope so, right? Um uh, again, the last two weeks or the last two games, excuse me, have have not been the issue here. I mean, Vanderbilt was like ranked 107th in the country defensively, and you know Missouri was up there as well. Now Missouri is a good basketball team, as you mentioned. They can they can shoot. The offense is there. They they've got some big wins. The overall record's not bad, um, but not not too sharp defensively. And Tennessee took advantage of that. I mean, Tennessee she shot the ball well, shot nearly 50 percent against Vanderbilt, shot 45 percent I think from uh, from the field against Missouri. You know, made some three pointers. It should give you some confidence, which which is a good thing. But you know, typically, the deeper you go into the tournament in March, you're going to be playing you know better defensive squads. The scoring tends to be a little bit lower. Uh, but you know, March is March. Sometimes you're going to run into a team that just you know continues to hit everything. Can you keep up? It was a good sign to see Tennessee keeping up and getting contributions from a guy like Tyree Key again, who has been so inconsistent offensively for you and really hadn't played with a whole lot of confidence, but. In the last two games, he's been really incredible, and so that's been good for Tennessee. Should give you a little bit of confidence moving forward, but you got to get back to playing your brand of defense because that style gave you a chance to win every single game against like Auburn, for instance, um, but that hasn't been apparent the last two games. Uh, Eric Kane, fantastic. If you haven't checked out Locked on Balls, I'm sure you have at this point, but uh, you need to. How do people follow your work, Eric, to make sure? 
Yeah, just uh, follow me on Twitter at underscore Kaner. And, uh, you know, pretty much all my work at VolQuest.com and Locked On Vols. And you can always find us on the, the YouTube channel, Locked On Vols. We put up a new episode every single morning. Yep, absolutely. And uh, great, great stuff. If you want a, uh, an overall rundown of what the, the Vols are doing, love it. Um, Eric, again, I wanted to talk baseball, but I, I had somebody say something to me over the weekend uh, with, with within Tennessee's football program. And it was just kind of one of those phrases that stick out. And they said, you know, the recruiting is not on point point. It's on point, but it's not on point point. So I, I, I don't want to read too much into that. But when you when you hear something like that, I'm just curious when you look at recruiting, because, you know, the whole scope of it, how close are they to where they want to be, where they're competing top three, top five? Because there's a difference between top ten. Yeah, there certainly is. I mean, you can be you can be number eight in the country, but still be number you know four or five in the SEC, right? It just, yeah. it just means more. Um, I mean, I think Tennessee's been recruiting well. I think Josh Hopple has recruited well since he's been here. And truly, the way I look at it, this past signing day, that 2023 cycle, was his first true you know, was there from the beginning, saw it through. I mean, that was his first cycle, in my opinion. 2022, he got here in February, at the end of January, right? I mean, he was behind the eight ball so much. And he addressed needs. I mean, he went out. Obviously, you lead off with your five-star quarterback and Nico, and you bring him in. That's a big old check. You got a quarterback. You got guys who could rush the quarterback. You went and solidified needs on the defensive line. You closed well with a five-star and David Hobbs and found the running back that you wanted and an in-state guy and a linebacker and Aaron Carter. So, I think Heibel did a great job of closing this class. I think Heibel did a great job of addressing needs. And, you know, of course, it's the that it's the value of the beholder, right? Um, you know, every coach is going to say that they love their class and that they, you know, they got hidden gems and all that. But I think Heibel really, really enjoys this class and found a few diamonds in the rough. So um, you want to be able to be not, you know, it'd be nice to be, you know, ranked number one in recruiting or ranked number five in recruiting or whatever, but, at the end of the day, you want to be winning those battles against Alabama, against Georgia, against LSU, Florida, and, and you're starting to do that. Again, you know, David Hobbs came to Tennessee over a couple of those schools. Aaron Carter picked Tennessee over Alabama. Um, you know, Alabama and Georgia wanted to get involved in Nico, but Tennessee, you know, got that wrapped up, you know, quickly. They, they were going to have him as a backup option uh, for Arch Manning. So, you know, not necessarily be paying attention to the ratings per se, but pay attention to the individual battles of who is Tennessee winning out over. And I think you're starting to see a little bit more consistently, you know, Tennessee's winning out over Alabama where this guy was a take at Alabama as well. Uh, go ahead and hit that like button. I haven't said that yet today because so much going on with the Super Bowl and the passing of Gus Manning. Hit the, hit the like button. We greatly appreciate that. And if you haven't subscribed yet, Please do that. So I'm going to play devil's advocate if, if you don't care on that recruiting aspect for a second. Um, when, when you elevate guys like uh, Kelsey Pope, Joey Halsley, Alec Ablin, those guys do not have the same connections that a Rodney Garner would have, that Tennessee would be better off going out and getting a bona fide recruiter with hundreds of more recruiting connections. I'm just playing devil's advocate, throwing that at you. Yeah, um, I mean, as far as like the tight ends hire and, and all that, I mean, you're 100 percent correct. That's um, th- that's going to be something to uh, kind of test out here, and, and that's going to be the risk factor. Is as far as knowing someone who knows the system, knowing someone who knows how to work within the coaching staff, the offense. You know, Al Cable made so much sense. He played in this offense. He even took snaps at tight end in this offense a couple of years ago at Missouri. He's been in the meeting room with Josh Hopple ever since the year 2021. 
He's learned from Ellerby. He's learned from Heupel. So that makes a whole lot of sense. He's been here the last two years, but he's never been out on the road recruiting. And so, yeah, um, that, that, that is, I mean, recruiting is a huge part of what college football is. So um, I'm interested to see kind of how he does uh, in, in that world of recruiting. He's done a lot from campus. He's done a lot on campus. He's called recruits. It's not like it's foreign to him, but it's a little different situation now that you're an on the field co- coach. So, you know, we'll see. Kelsey Pope, I think, done a nice job, you know, since his elevation. And he, you know, he had been an on-the-field coach before, and he's been a, you know, a, a, a recruiter before, you know, his elevation here at Tennessee. But still, it's the kind of the same situation. So, you know, we'll see exactly what this class of 2024 holds for the balls, if they can, you know, make a push to go up the rankings a little bit more, see how Ablin does. Tight end position is going to be critical in this class because you're going to lose two tight ends at the end of this year, and, you're going to have one returner that's a blue chip prospect, and then that's it, right? So um, he'll have to prove his, his, his worth for sure uh, this cycle. Eric, how much is the um, – because you're right, Josh Heibel was just getting his feet wet when he had to recruit for 2022, and also most of the recruiting for the 2022 class was done before he coached the game. And then most of the recruiting for this class was done before he just went 11-2 and two and finished in the top 10. No. And the NCAA investigation is still – it's not over. It hasn't wrapped up yet. How much will the wrapping up of the NCAA investigation be a huge boost to Josh Heupel trying to recruit for 2024? I mean, honestly, I don't think it'll be that much of a factor, to be completely honest. I mean, the yeah, it's 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 not wrapped up yet. Uh, there was like a 60-day period wherever, you know, Tennessee had to, you know, answer back to the notice of allegations or the NCAA had to get back to that and all that type of stuff. There's there's never go- there's not going to be any postseason bowl ban. There's not going to be anything big like that. Um, but you're right, it's not over, and you want to go ahead and you know get this over with and clean and kind of move on. But as far as recruiting, that's not going to happen because they've pretty much already seen that they were not punishing the 2023 team or the 2022 team. They're not going to punish a team that's here now for violations that happened before they even stepped foot on campus with a prior regime. Um, I think that's pretty evident. So I don't think that's going to be – I don't think it's going to play – you know, show that much of a difference, you know, for how a recruit looks at Tennessee because, you know – Josh Heupel's already recruiting at a top 10 clip and, and getting in some blue chip prospects and all that type of stuff. So, you know, we'll see exactly what happens. Now, other programs use that to negatively recruit against Tennessee a little bit, as they should. Um, you know, maybe that stops once it's completely all said and done. But I don't think it'll be that big of a difference. Okay, so I originally uh, called you and texted you over the weekend to have you on talk baseball and hear everything that happens. So, um, but uh, Tennessee baseball, you, you visited with Tony Vitello recently. He might not come out and admit it, but would he like the celebration sort of stuff? And, of course, the one-finger salute round in second. Would he like that dialed down a little bit, Eric? In my opinion, yeah, I I think so. I mean, you want to be passionate. You want to have your heart on a sleeve. You want to have fun. You want to be organic. Those are things things that he encourages and he loves. Um, But also, you need to be smart about that, right? I mean, who's to say if Jordan Beck didn't do that, if Drew Gilbert two weeks later or a week later or whatever didn't get the quick hook, you know, when he probably did something that he probably did a couple other times throughout the year, right? And that, that came at a critical spot in, in, uh, in super regional play. So, yeah, I just think you got to be smart a little bit. Now, I think he loves that attitude and that mantra of his team for sure. But when it comes into place of, you know, having your your body out there on the field or, you know, your, yourself in that batter's box, if it comes in the way of that or potential of not having you there, then you got you got to tone it down a little bit. So uh, we'll see exactly what this team looks like. You know, some of those firecrackers like Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck and uh, Jarrell Ortega and some of those other guys are not on the team. But, however, 
you know, it's been something that's been evident with Tony Vitello's teams ever since he's been here in Knoxville. And I don't think that this year will be much different. How much of that is selling the, the program? Because o- over the years, there have been programs in other sports that have had to sell themselves a little bit. How much of, do you think that was maybe a little bit orchestrated throughout his tenure? Um, I don't think it was orchestrated much at all because again, he spoke on that. I went and caught up with, uh, I went and, and and watched him speak to the Big Orange Tip Off Club, you know, last week, and he said, "You go to some other games or you know around the conference, and you see these dances in the outfield and these you know these choreographed stuff." And he's like, "That's not organic, and that's I I don't, I don't much care for that." You know, what I like about our guys is it's all organic and they kind of come up with it themselves and it's not orchestrated and all that. So I wouldn't say that's, you know, much uh, of the case. But, um, you know, looking at it from a prospect's perspective or just, a you know, a student athlete looking to go to the next level, um, that is selling the program for me, though, for sure. Because, number one, Tennessee's winning. Number two, Tennessee's having fun. Number three, Tennessee's kind of the bad boy on the block. Uh, but they're backing it up, right? And so – uh, I, I think it's 100% kind of selling itself and, and kind of creating the, the brand of the program with Tony Botello. And it's appealing for sure. And he's recruited at a high level. He's, uh, you know, he had a great offseason in the transfer portal. Uh, people want to be at Tennessee. People want to learn under Frank Anderson and want to, you know, play for Tony Botello, want to go win baseball games and then, you know, go in the Major League Baseball draft. So I think it's, uh, I think it's really appealing. Uh, Eric, so if we're doing a parallel then, um, is Tennessee the this past year's Bengals or are they the 95 Cowboys? Because I've seen more of this past year's Bengals where they're talking a lot, but they haven't won any World Series title yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they got to win, right? Um, you, you, you won the SEC regular season. Uh, you won the SEC tournament title. You won the East and back-to-back years, and that's all great. I mean, that, that again, that's first time it's happened since. First time it's happened since, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. Um you know Tennessee's been in the Tennessee's been in postseason play three seasons under Tony Vitello. Would have been a fourth season if 2020 were to have happened. It got cut off during conference play or right before conference play. Um, but you know Tennessee's made it to Omaha one time since you know prior to 2021. Since what was it, uh, 2005 or whatever. So you want to go to Omaha. You want to make that a regular occurrence. You want to win some games there, and ultimately, of course, you want to win a you want to win a College World Series. So. Um, it, it'd be great for Tennessee to go out there and win one and everything. But if you're a consistent threat in college baseball and you, you know, prove time in and time out year after year that you're going to be hosting Super Regionals, you're going to be going to Omaha. I mean, you're going to be taken seriously as a as a contender every single year. And I think Tennessee is almost at that point. Eric, keep crushing it, man. I've enjoyed your work for a number of years going back to the sports animal. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, Somebody's got to replace old guys like me. So, <laughs> you're, so you're, you're definitely the guy. And John Abs. I mean, all those guys are, are leaving. So you, you guys take over. I um, but keep up the great work, and uh, we certainly appreciate your time. And uh, have a blessed rest of the week. Hey, Dave, Caleb, appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thanks, man. Eric Kane. And if you haven't checked out his work, he absolutely slays it. There's no question about it. Love what he does, and I think he has one of the most successful locked on. Uh, podcast uh, with any school, and there's a reason why he puts in the work, and it's just uh, fantastic stuff. Portions of the program brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. Man alive, it's worth the drop. Bassey Lawn and Garden, whether you're in Knoxville, Nashville, Chattanooga, man alive, it's worth the drop. Replenish that those industrial mowers, replenish uh, the commercial mowers. If you're starting your own company, that's the way to go because their buying power puts them on another level. 
also residential. They got the hedgers, the trimmers, the Toro mowers, Toro count on it. So more after this three minutes, actually two. And I asked the question, what former ball had the biggest impact in a Super Bowl? And also, is it time for Tennessee baseball to hang up the hijinks? More after this. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the Sports. Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hey folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's repair. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalist for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
Welcome back. He's Caleb Calhoun. I am Dave Hooker. Balls in the Super Bowl. Let's get to that as we look back at some of the legendary Tennessee players that have had just fantastic showings in the Super Bowl. Travis, my guy. Give me an Alvin Harper reference. Uh, that That is uh, certainly a good one. Uh, okay, so let's run down some of these uh, quickly. And I'll remind you that portions of the program were brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn. Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn have the eye um, just mastered. Whether or not it, they want to go in the direction or you need to go in the direction of LASIK, they can take care of that. And LASIK has uh, got me seeing like an eagle from distance, and I absolutely love it. Uh, they also do cataract surgery, and they're local. And they are all about uh, taking care of your eyes and their locals, so you don't see a lot of that. Uh, they're absolutely phenomenal. Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn. Check them out. Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn for local vision uh, correction that is done by local doctors, and you'll love it. So, pretty much between Reggie and White and Peyton Manning as far as greatest impact in the Super Bowl, right? Well, Reggie White should have been named Super Bowl MVP in 97. Yeah, like three sacks. No question he should have won MVP. And even if, he did, even, even if he didn't have the sacks and they were pressures, he changed the way that that, that whole game was played up front. So it was one of those games, you know, you could watch and sometimes a guy doesn't get the sacks. He yeah. changed the way the game was played. But I oh, you're right. You're right. There's a reason Drew Bledsoe wasn't able to lead that comeback in the second half. Um, Reggie White's the reason Drew Bledsoe lost his starting job to Tom Brady five years later. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, no, uh, he should have been MVP. Willie Galt had 129 yards receiving in the 86 Super Bowl. He deserves a big shout-out for his play in that one. That was a big one. Um, Peyton Manning, a lot of people criticize that 2007 Super Bowl performance because the stat line wasn't what it usually is, but – if you really think about the game, the fact that it was pouring down rain in Miami and the Bears defense, Manning's focus on that game was to pick apart the Bears defense methodically and keep the Colts offense on the field. I think if you watch that game, he did that masterfully, and that's why he won Super Bowl MVP. It wasn't his typical stat line game, but Manning's focus in that game was to primarily just make sure the Bears stayed off the field and keep the Bears defense on the field. I think both the Manning Super Bowls were classic Manning. There was the Denver one as well, where he didn't have the arm strength that he had earlier earlier in his career, or for that matter, earlier in that season, probably earlier that month. I mean, it was going downhill throughout the entire season. I thought both of them were classic Manning, managed the game, and uh, I think he got about as much out of what he could do and his ability uh, in each of those games, one because of the rain, but one because of his arm strength. I thought they were classic Manning. I give him a, a lot of credit for those. There's a, a lot of other quarterbacks that would have fallen short on those two days. Oh, I'm with, I'm with you on that. It's just the Denver game, it was obvious Von Miller was Super Bowl MVP. Like, it was oh, obvious. Yeah. yeah, whereas with the Colts game, people thought because Dominic Rhodes had a better stat line as a, as a running back and there was a pick six that Peyton Manning didn't deserve Super Bowl MVP, but – I'm like, no, if you actually watched that game, Peyton Manning was the most valuable player on the field in that game by far, because that, given the nature of the weather, no, nobody else could have managed the offense the way he did. And you're, you're right about that. Um, and so, so I go Peyton Manning, Reggie White, Willie Gall, 
and, and just a heads up, this is based on Trey Smith, guys, winning a Super Bowl last night. And we should give a, a huge shout out to Trey Smith. This is one of the greatest stories in Tennessee football history. You know, blood clots in the lungs. And... I, said, I said at the time publicly he shouldn't play anymore. I mean, if that's my kid, if that's my son, I don't want him to play anymore. And maybe the doctors told them it's 100% fine. I still, when I hear blood clots in the lungs, that scares me to death. So for him to be able to come back and, and play, and you have to take all this sort of medicine that can affect your um, athletic output. Do you remember Charles Hathaway back in the day? Yes. He had blood clots in his calves, and he was never the same from an energy standpoint. And part of it, I was told, was the medication he was taking at the time. So there is every reason for Trey Smith's career to not have happened, uh, for Trey Smith to not be in that Super Bowl. So kudos to him and – um, and let's just to break down his performance real quick. Kansas City didn't allow a sack last night against the best defensive front in the NFL. We all agree, right? Um, yes. And they also averaged six yards of carry on the ground, which is more about your guards than your tackles. Trey Smith probably had the best performance for a Tennessee football offensive lineman maybe ever in the Super Bowl last night. That's saying a lot. Now, I will say this the greatest play the greatest single play that changed the trajectory of a couple of different NFL franchises was made by Alvin Harper. The greatest single play by a former ball in the Super Bowl was made by Alvin Harper. Was that the 45-yard catch against Buffalo, the touchdown in 92 or 93? No, that was – it was the 92 season, and their, uh, Dallas was playing at San Francisco – San Francisco was favored. Jimmy Johnson, for some reason, said in the paper the day before that they would win. He predicted a win. A lot of this gets lost because we didn't have social media at the time. But the uh, Cowboys at the time had about a three or four point lead. You can check me on this. And But San Francisco had just scored and had all the momentum. So at that point, what should the Cowboys do with the great offensive line? Run up between the tackles, right? Caleb, start to work clock. There's about three minutes left. And they run a deep slant to Alvin Harper on first down. And I'm sure you can see it now in your mind's eye, but he gets it all the way down to about the four-yard line. So it's about a 70-yard gain. They hand it to Emmitt Smith over and over, and the game's over. If Alvin Harper doesn't make that play, if they don't make that call, if Troy Aikman doesn't make the perfect throw, then maybe San Francisco comes back and wins that game at home and the Cowboys are never the Cowboys. And San Francisco has two titles in the 90s instead of just ending with one. So that to me, oh, and that was the NFC Championship game. I'm losing my mind. Greatest uh, single playoff that led to a Super Bowl, I guess is what I'm jumping Yeah, because Yeah, because like, as we all agree, like Manning's best performance ever in his career was that AFC Championship in 07 against the Patriots, not the Super Bowl, because that AFC title game was the Super Bowl with him and Tom Brady when the Colts fell down 21 to three and he brought him back. Yeah. Um, so I guess I just changed it. That felt like a Super Bowl back then because you all, uh, you knew you were blowing up Buffalo. <laughs> you know, nobody thought that it was the Bills. You're right. So um, another one, um, don't forget this Derek Barnett's rookie season. He yeah. recovered the game clinching fumble that was forced on Tom Brady. Remember Tom Brady threw for a record, like 500 and something yards. You just knew Tom Brady was going to lead a uh, drive late in the, in the 2017 Super Bowl. I forgot who got the sack, but Derek Barnett recovered the fumble. And that was a pretty big play too. 
So because because of uh, my misspeak, we're changing this to plays that led to a championship. That gets me Alvin Harper in there and saves my hot a little bit. No, oh, okay. Derek Barnett was a good one. Um, but I do want to turn to uh, Tennessee baseball – or sorry, Tennessee basketball over the weekend. And uh, you actually are optimistic coming off a loss, which surprises me. Brought to you by AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Over 40 years of experience in that office, and he will get you the right home. He'll get it to you at the right price and the best service. Uh, he is fantastic. AndyMasonRealEstate.com for your real estate needs in Knoxville. Hit that thumbs up button for the like if you haven't subscribed yet. And Caleb, I'm interested to see where you go here, but you you had this idea over the weekend how there were actually optimistic signs in Tennessee's loss on Saturday. What optimistic signs do you see? So my optimistic signs is, look, it's not like Missouri is a, a horrible team. They're actually a pretty decent team. Again, they gave they beat Iowa State, who was number 12 at the time in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Um, Missouri, my, my big concern for Tennessee all year was even when they were up to number two, was that they were doing it with grinding it out games, toughness and defense. And I'm like, in the in March, you run into a team that's just not going to miss. They're just not going to miss from the outside, no matter what you do. And can you hang with them? Well, Missouri played that game on Saturday. Let's just be honest, Dave. Missouri didn't miss at all. And Tennessee sh- still should have won that game. Um, you can be concerned about Visco- Viscovi missing the front end of that one-on-one a second time and it being in his head. Clutch genes matter. I agree with everybody on that. And clearly, what we're realizing is Vescovi is not clutch, and that's a problem. Um, but the fact that they can hang when somebody is shooting red hot on them like that is something I didn't see them being able to do. Julian Phillips left the game with an injury. Um, J- uh, Triple J was out. Um, and so I think that that's something that we didn't see from them in the past. Again, my thing is... I've been saying the whole time, everybody's concerned about Tennessee defense. I don't care about defense in college basketball. People need to get that through their heads. Defense is the stupidest thing to worry about in college basketball. It doesn't matter, okay? I only care about your ability to score. And Tennessee did show that they can score when another team is red hot shooting the ball. So that matters. Muscovy not being clutch also matters. So that's where you draw a concern. Um, He's turning into, dare I say... I'm going to invoke the name J.J. Redick at Duke. J.J. Redick is the worst clutch performer ever. and But this guy's not, not as good as Redick was. I tell you, Caleb, I, 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 you're probably a little too optimistic for, for my taste. And, and let's face it, both of us, with the way college basketball plays out, could be dead wrong. We've seen mm-hmm. teams flounder in February and have success in March. We've seen teams soar in February and get knocked out of the first two rounds. That's just the way college basketball is. So I take all of this <clears throat> with a grain of salt, I guess my own opinion. My opinion is this team hasn't felt found itself as of, of the middle of February. And that to me is incredibly disheartening because this team has too much talent not to know where it needs to go in clutch moments. And if it can't go Viscovi's direction, then I've got serious questions about their ability to win clutch games in March. So um, it's funny, you and I kind of flip-flopped. I was on the wait-and-see approach last week with this basketball team, and they could get things turned around. 
Now I'm more along the lines of this team is ripe for a first round or second round exit. And I thought that they would still make the Sweet 16 last week. They would put things together. The Auburn win was still a ranked opponent win. I, I was playing all the positive cards. I don't have positive cards like you do after Saturday. I, I mean, I appreciate where you're coming from. And I can see that and the ability to hang with a high-scoring team. Just to me, I don't think that they have an identity. What is their identity right now, Caleb? Oh, they don't. They don't. And part of the reason they don't have an identity is because of injuries. But Rick Barnes tried to make their identity defense and toughness and being able to play inside out. And as you and I talked about, the out part of inside out was not happening for them. And I think it did happen. I think if Rick Barnes is smart, he sticks with small ball the rest of the way out. You know, he, he uses Tyree Key, the Scovey, um, has just one big in there at a time, whether that's Nakamwa or uh, Julian Phillips, if he's healthy, um, and just play small ball. And I think that could be their identity. Um, and he should stop worrying about them using wasting their energy on defense. Defense doesn't matter. Defense doesn't win championships, guys. <laughs> but can you change that in February? No, you can't. And Rick Barnes won't change his philosophy. Rick Barnes is very committed to this philosophy, and there's a reason he's only made one Final Four. Smoky Mountain Red said shooting threes is their identity, live and die by it. Here's the problem, though. They're more likely to die by it because defensive players on the perimeter stick to the outside and don't crash down and help in the post. So really, we could say it's the three-pointers and missing the three-pointers, but to a large extent, I mean, they don't have the production in the post to scare people. That, that You're right. That is a big problem is, you know, Nakamwa is more of a stretch for, so he wants to pull you out for the mid-range a little bit, which doesn't help if you play inside out that much. And Plavchik is just, look, he's gotten exposed. I just don't think you can rely on Plavchik right now. And I don't think Plavchik is that great of a passer. The, you know, half of being a great when you play inside out basketball it, with the post players is not just scoring when they leave you open, but being able to pass and kick it out to the guy on the perimeter that's that's open and play. I don't think any of Tennessee's inside guys are really that good at passers, honestly. And that's a huge problem. You know, one of the things I've noticed about plastic, um, easy for me to say, watch this the next time. Okay. When, when he feels as if he's going against a brick wall and he can't convert in the post, he looks to pass. And when he brings his head up, he is either unsure of where to pass where everybody's covered. Notice that just in his body language, Caleb. So I don't know if that's him, and you said he doesn't kick it out as well, or if that's just they're well covered. But And he also kicks the ball on the ground way too much when he catches it in the, in the post. I, amen. Why? Why is he – why must he dribble? I, I don't know. It's a, it, is a, it is one of the worst habits that you see with big men in basketball that keep them from developing is if you catch it – and you're in the post like this, you pivot, and then you try to score, and you keep the ball up, or you try to do a pump fake. The minute you put the ball on the ground, it, it changes everything. And, you know, it's, it, it's basketball. If you're a big man, that's like basketball 101 that you learn when you're 14 to not do. Let me ask you, what happens if Rick Barnes with this team, where would you put this team in terms of talent in the entire nation? I mean, I, in terms of just talent, I would say top 20. But when you put talent and combined with what should be solid experience, 
I would say top 10 Barnes has a, has never been able to mesh five-star freshman talent with experience. He's never been able to do that well. Okay. So experience plus talent equals top 10. Mm -hmm. If this team, according to you, and I agree, if this team does not go deeper than the second round of the tournament, does that affect Rick Barnes' decision-making and how long he wants to coach? Does that affect Danny White's thoughts on how long he wants Rick Barnes to coach? I don't think it should affect Danny White's decision. It may affect Rick Barnes. And the reason I don't think it should affect Danny White's is, look, part it's Tennessee basketball. I, I mean, the goal of hiring Rick Barnes was to have a coach who would always have you in the NCAA tournament. You know, this is... You're not looking for you're not you're not Kentucky. You're not looking for a coach that's going to get you to the Final Four every four years or something like that. You're looking for a coach that is going to keep you relevant. Now I will say the problem is, are you looking for relevancy? Or are you looking to make sure that you still sell tickets and sell out games? Because I will say, if you're constantly doing this in the NCAA tournament, eventually, you know, apathy sets in with the fan base, and that that would be a problem. And I don't know how you yeah, that with the Lady Balls. Yeah. Yeah, that is. It's it's that way with the Lady Vols. That's true. Um, and so, I, if your goal is to sell tickets, that sounds like Doug Dickey to me in the nineties. Did um, he even try to sell tickets? In well, argu arguably not. But the point was just to hire somebody who has a certain appeal. Like Wade Houston, for instance, was known. He was going to bring in Allen, and he was a great recruiter. So I don't think that anybody thought that they were going to win a Final Four at any point, but. You did have an appeal of what should should have been an athletic team. Well, it was with Allen, nobody else. Um, but yeah, the no this this basketball team right now does not appear to have an identity. Again, things could turn on a dime. It's March, I see that, but yeah, I wonder. I just wonder how long Rick Barnes wants to pound his head against the not making the Sweet Sixteen wall. I also have to say this: the because it was the hottest form of basketball in the mid 2000s um, Gary, after Gary Williams won a national championship at Maryland, but the Dr. Tom Davis coaching tree is getting figured out. You guys saw Bruce Pearl over the weekend and Auburn lose um, to Alabama. They, they didn't look like they're on Alabama's level, quite honestly. And um, I'm thinking Rick Barnes, Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes comes from the Gary Williams coaching tree. Gary Williams and, and Bruce Pearl both come from, from the Tom Davis coaching tree which is partially up-tempo, but there's a commitment to the flex offense in, 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 on, all, on what they all do. Running the same – the flex is not like the motion. You run the same set every time down the floor. Every time down the floor, you run the same set offense in the same set formations, like the triangle. I don't think that works anymore. I don't think you can run the same formations on offense anymore in basketball and, or have the same, the same setup every time you go down the court and react to the defense. And I think that – I think Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl's systems have been figured out. I'm going to be honest. You know, everybody talks about Bruce Pearl's greatness because of what he did when he first got to Tennessee. He's been to one final four in his career. That's it. Well, and don't forget this. He had a special couple of guards in Lofton and Jawan. Yes. I mean, that, you know, that just kind of gets, oh, yeah, he, he did everything. He X'd, X's and O's it up. No, they're pretty good guard play. I mean, that was pretty strong. And, and at the time, nobody in the SEC played tempo. Remember, you were playing half court, grinded out defensive basketball, and then you had to prepare for Tennessee on a Wednesday. That's just going to go nonstop up tempo. Not everybody in the SEC is playing up tempo. So you're not really like – it's not a change of pace to face Bruce Pearl or Rick Barnes.
Smoky Mountain Red said if it were Rick Barnes to step down or at some point, he's he is going to retire at some point. Who do you go after as as a coach? I'll be honest with you. I hate that question. And I love you, Smoky Mountain Red, but I hate that question because Tennessee should be able, especially now, to go after whoever they want to as a coach. They don't have to go hire uh, a Jeremy Pruitt to use the football terminology. They don't have to hire a a guy that was in Michael Jordan's wedding and Buzz Peterson. They don't have to settle. I think they have everything with the the Pratt Pavilion, the workout facility, uh, Thompson Bowling Arena. I think you're on a high right now. So if, if you have to go out and hire somebody because Rick Barnes decides to retire, I don't think there are any limitations. I mean, Things aren't going grand for John Calipari in Kentucky. I'd give him a call if Rick Barnes said he wanted to retire in April. I'd give John Calipari a call. There's nobody I would be afraid to call if I'm Danny White with the way Tennessee's athletic program is going. Yeah, and also Danny White is the master at scouting up-and-coming coaches. And so I, I don't think that – Danny White, I, I, you know, historically I used to do home run hires, but I don't think Danny White needs a home run hire. He knows the right hire. I've seen it, and I have enough proof because, um, because look, he's. I used to think you go for the big hire, big names uh, coach, but with Danny White, I say you go for the up and comer because Danny White knows who that is, and he finds them better than anybody I've ever seen. Um, which I, I mean, a good debate in the past would be like, you know, looking at home run hires versus up and comer hires Tennessee has made. You know, 1976, I'm pretty sure Johnny Majors felt like a home run hire, didn't he? Just won a national championship at Pitt, was yeah. coming home, no doubt. and never really lived up to the home run. And... Yep, I agree. Uh, John Wilkerson will join us tomorrow to talk some diamond balls. Portions of the program brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning and Integrity Matters. Cityheatandair.com. Cityheatandair.com. Maybe you don't need a whole new HVAC unit. You just need uh, a little bit of a tweak. Well, that's what City Heating and Air Conditioning will do for you. Cityheatandair.com. Integrity matters. We'll talk to you tomorrow with John Wilkerson. A big week lined up. Ron Slay as well. want to thank Eric Kane for joining us of Locked on Balls and Ball Quest. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off Dog Sports. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.